Calling 2010 the Decade of Reckoning, the report urges policymakers to shed outdated notions of America's cities and suburbs and work quickly to address the coming problems caused by the dramatic shifts in population. Think they will? Um, I'm actually, you know, optimistic. I think the the Obama administration is, is sensitive enough to know that this is going on. And of course, the suburbs were very helpful in his in his election, and he certainly doesn't want to lose anybody out there come 2010 and 2012. Well, among the recommendations of the Brookings Institution suggest they're kind of a left-leaning but nonpartisan group. They want affordable housing and social services for older people in the suburbs, better transit systems to link cities and suburbs, and a new federal office of new Americans to serve the education and citizenship needs of the rapidly growing immigrant community. Here's some other findings, by the way, from this very interesting study. About 83% of the U.S. population growth since 2000, 80% was minority. Part of a trend that will see minorities become the majority by mid-century. This is probably one reason why the teabaggers are going so crazy. You take a look at a gathering of teabaggers, and besides the fact that they're older and, and fairly, you know, gobsmacked, you know, they have the days in their eyes. That's the government. It's the big government. They're not very diverse. Not a lot of brothers and sisters there, you know. Not a lot of La Raza at the teabag gatherings. Uh, across all metro areas, the majority of the child population is now non-white. So we have suburbs filling up with poor minority children. Hmm. The suburban poor grew by 25% between 1999 and 2008. That's only nine years. Five times the growth rate of the poor in the city. So five times more people are going poor in the suburbs. So this is, this is amazing. City residents are more likely to live in deep poverty, while a higher share of suburban residents have incomes just below the poverty line. Yeah, like there's a great big difference. For the first time in several decades, the population is growing at a faster rate than households. Which That's due to delays in marriage, divorce, and births, as well as longer lifespans. People living alone and non-married couple families are among the fastest growing in the suburbs. Wow. Non-married couples. The suburbs. Everybody's living in sin. Time for another episode of Reaming the President, a New Perspective. The Obama administration will seek a law allowing investigators to interrogate terrorism suspects without informing them of their rights, as Attorney General Eric H. Holder Jr. flatly asserted that the defendant in the Times Square bombing attempt was trained by the Taliban in Pakistan. By the way, there is now... There's no doubt about that, okay? Mr. Holder proposed carving out a brand new exemption to the Miranda rights established in a landmark 1966 Supreme Court ruling. It generally forbids prosecutors from using as evidence statements made before suspects have been warned that they have a right to remain silent and to consult a lawyer. He said interrogators needed greater flexibility to question terrorism suspects than is provided by existing exceptions. We're now dealing with international terrorists, Holder said. And I think that we have to think about perhaps modifying the rules that interrogators have and somehow coming up with something that is flexible and is more consistent with the threat that we now face. 
The conclusion that Mr. Shahzad was involved in an international plot appeared to come from investigations that began after his arrest and interrogation, including inquiries into his links with the Taliban in Pakistan. But even before the attempted Times Square attack, the administration had been stretching the traditional limits of how long suspects may be questioned without being warned of their rights. After the attempted bombing of a Detroit-bound jet on December 25th, that was last year, for example, the, the FBI questioned Mr. Shahzad for three or four hours before delivering a Miranda warning. In both cases, the administration relied on an exception to Miranda for immediate threats to public safety. That exception was established by the Supreme Court in a 1984 case in which a police officer asked a suspect at the time of his arrest and before reading him his rights about where he had hidden a gun. The court deemed the defendant's answer in the gun admissible as evidence against him. Dave. Well, yes. I mean, is that uh, not not to put a too fine a point on it? It was admitted as evidence. Yes, yes. The rule of law, rule of law. Well, look, uh, as I say, uh, Obama may not have been a, a soldier, so he may be cowed by people in military uniforms with all the medals. But he was, you know, he was the editor of the Harvard Law Review. He is a lawyer. This is about law. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he is dead wrong. Absolutely. And this has to do with not being, it's the same old thing. Don't allow the administration to be accused of being soft. On on, anything. On anything. Soft on anything. So, no. The guy, they caught the guy. Yeah. They caught the guy? The guy was happy about what he what he had done. He is happy to talk about it. They read the, him his rights, and he continued to talk. You know, I mean, everybody is so used to that. It's the NYPD and, and, and all those television shows, you know. there It is a – we know that you stop a guy and you – you, you read him his rights. That's why do we do that? To establish something consistent in every city across this great big land of ours. And to support so that every our- evil cop yeah. has to do this. Even Joe Arapaho or Arpaio, whatever his name is, down in Phoenix, they all have to do this. You know, and its supports are, are tremendously complicated and fine concern with civil liberties in this country. Our our law system is superb, and this is chipping away at a very important point. Obama knows about it. He should be ashamed of himself. He should turn around and do something. He's buying into this idea of terrorists, terrorists, whoever they are. Even American citizens don't have no rights. Hey, how about the guy that goes on campus, the University of Virginia, and kills 13 or 14 people with a gun? He's not a terrorist. Of course, he ended up dead, but he gets his rights. Somebody goes in and burns a house down. He's terrorizing the people he immolated, but he's not a terrorist. Uh, it's all it it's all has to do with these these sleazy definitions of uh, you know who we're against what's a terrorist well a terrorist act is let's say setting a bomb in an airplane or times square or anywhere where it's going to hurt people right people who want to you know there's plenty of armies you can join if you just want to set off bombs somewhere you can go do that but there's another definition, which is attempted murder That's and conspiracy. Right. Yep. And read him his rights and take him to public court so we can learn about all this. The What's problem is we have this untenable empire stretched all across the world. And anybody that, you know, regrets it or works against it is an insurgent or a guerrilla or a terrorist. Here's the thing, man. <clears throat> Here's the thing. If you, if you make an exception 
in in one case in this country, that exception then becomes written into the law, and it becomes then the law is accepted, accepted. Okay, the Bill of Rights is very clear. No law may be made, etc. Right? Yeah. We may argue about uh, aspects of it, but it's really quite clear in what it says. Don't do. And one of the things it uh, it demands of us is that we respect the rights of individuals and don't assume they are guilty. And that, this is American. It's crazy. It's novel. Uh, they may not like it in Spain or or Czechoslovakia. They may or do Alabama. it in Alabama. They may do it differently there. But that's what's in the Constitution. And Mr. Holder, there are no exceptions. No, read my lips, exceptions. More news on the recovery that isn't. Yes, it, it appears that the unemployment crisis continues to stymie this so-called full economic recovery. With ripple effects from credit card delinquencies and rising food stamp participation causing hardships for millions of Americans, according to the latest update of the Huffington Post's Real Misery Index, which is inflation added to unemployment. The index for March-April 2010 was 33.1, a slight increase from 33 in February, representing another new high in the 26 years going back to 1984, when, it was, when this misery index was initiated by the HuffPost. Though there have been some encouraging signs from higher housing prices, which have an inverse relationship to the index, to declining home equity uh, you know, d- delinquencies, the jobless numbers continue to increase the misery. Uh, Though the real misery index has increased 16% from March 2009 to April 2010, the stock market has increased 56% that period, reflecting an alarming discrepancy between the two metrics. Well, you know, the stock market is encouraged by unemployment. And I asked an economist once why. I said, well, you see, if you, as the closer you get towards full employment, the more uh, inflation you get because more people have money to buy goods and, and stocks then are devalued by the inflation. So the more the misery, the better the stock market. And it seems to be working out. Okay. Lynn Riasser, the incoming president of the National Association of Business Economists, calls it a two-tier economy with those who are employed doing better and rising consumer confidence while at the same time the unemployed suffer. The misery index. We're going to keep a nice close eye on it.